Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Karen Cam Radio Show. The intention of this show is to empower and inspire you to manifest the life of your dreams, whether it's radiant health, prosperity, loving relationships, or simply peace of mind. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. And if you don't have a copy of my book, you can get the first six chapters free right on my website, KarenCan.com. And because I love giving away stuff, uh, you also get seven of my Fast Track Your Healing webinar classes, about an hour each, absolutely free, and my very popular clearing and protection spray formula. I got to tell you, I use this every day, especially when I'm in the office, because, you know, when people are on and I'm treating them with acupuncture and we're doing energy healing work, you know, there's some energetic detox that occur, sometimes tears, you know, come, that kind of thing. So what we do is we spray each uh, treatment room after everybody's been in it, uh, actually each person, and then the next person has an energetically clean room because some data has shown us that uh, people heal better in an energetic clean area. So this is a very popular spray, and you can even uh, get rid of ghosts this way too. So KarenCan.com, and you can get on my mailing list and connect with me, and I'd love to have you as part of our Light Warrior tribe. Yay! So today, oh, I'm so excited because I'm interviewing one of my good friends, Baxter Bell. Now, he is a medical doctor I met through my acupuncture training with the UCLA Medical Acupuncture for Physicians many years ago. That was, I think, 2000 and something. Yeah, 2000 or 2001, something like that. So we've known each other for a very long time. And uh, I'm so excited because he is publishing a book called Yoga for Healthy Aging. And uh, he also has some really cool T-shirts, which I want to get one. <laughs> Yoga for Healthy Aging. And uh, that's going to go uh, release on December 18th, 2017. And so I'm so pleased to bring Baxter, uh, you know, on the show today because, like I said, he's uh, an old friend of mine. We've grown many, many different ways. And uh, he was, I, I have to say, uh, to, you know, to my audience and to those that know me in the Light Warrior group, you know, Baxter has been a really pivotal person in my spiritual growth. I mean, seriously, if you if you were like to 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 you know type out a timeline of you know Karen can you know there would be like a big pin sticking in 2000 or whenever Baxter and I met like a pivotal shift uh, for me and so I have great gratitude uh, for this friendship and he's such a wonderful person so I'm so happy to welcome Baxter hi welcome to the show hey Karen thanks for having me on this is really fun thank you yeah this is really fun so since our audience doesn't know you uh, why don't you go and tell us first like you were trained as a traditional medical doctor like I was, and then now yeah. you're doing acupuncture and you're doing yoga professionally. You have DVDs, you know, yoga DVDs. So how does a medical doctor, like, make this huge shift to this side of the fence, so to speak? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned 2000, 2001 being a pivotal time for you when you and I met at the um, UCLA training program for medical acupuncture because I was certainly in the middle of that same sort of transformation myself. And uh, so I, I look back fondly on those, those uh, years as uh, big shifting years for me also. 
And I don't know if, you know, I get this question a lot and, you know, I've, I have a story around it, but I think ultimately it was a, it was a path that probably got laid down or um, the process began many years before you and I met uh, with small little bits and pieces of awakening occurring along the way. And then around 1999, I, I, at that time, 1999, I was in my practice. I was very busy. Practice was very successful. And I had started to practice yoga on a pretty regular basis by 1999. Um, I also had been interested in energy work. I had done a little work around uh, the Reiki system. Um, uh, but that was kind of a sideline for me that I shared with friends uh, and didn't really do professionally. And... Um, I was also getting curious about acupuncture around that time because a good friend of mine, John Sacco, who is a radiation oncologist in Cincinnati, had done the program that you and I eventually did, and he spoke so highly of it that that really motivated me to uh, head out and try that, that particular training. But I think ultimately it was the yoga practices that had the most impact for me. They slowed down my very busy, <laughs> creative mind a little bit and allowed me to be a little more introspective and reflective, and I realized that um, there were some really great things happening in my life. I loved working with my patients. I loved seeing them every day and uh, facilitating their healing journeys. Um, and I also did not care so much for the business end of things and what I saw as the corporatization of modern medicine that was happening around me. So it was very timely that I had these practices to drop into, and eventually my teacher, at that time it was a, a person named Rodney Yee, um, asked me if I had any interest in learning more about yoga and possibly becoming a teacher. This was on a little vacation trip down in Mexico in 1999. And that moment was the, the moment where that, that seed got planted for the possibility of doing something radically different from what I had been doing already. And from there, I uh, started thinking about it. I didn't talk about it out loud. And... I eventually kind of made an announcement to some friends of mine at a cocktail party that I was thinking about taking a sabbatical and studying yoga. And um, <laughs> I, my partner at the time was standing behind me, and she tapped me on the shoulder and said, what did you just say to those guys? So I explained what I'd been thinking about. She was already teaching yoga at the time, and I, I was just a student of yoga at that point. And uh, so we had a very frank conversation about it and realized that, you know, if we really wanted to do this interesting program in California, we had to get on the ball and uh, very quickly, I don't know if you found this to be true, Karen, in your journey, but once I made the commitment and the decision that I wanted to make a change, a lot of doors started to open without much effort. And mm. so the transition from being in a private practice in the Cincinnati, Ohio area in family medicine to becoming a student of both um, yoga and acupuncture on the West Coast in California had a kind of an organic, beautiful unfolding, which was which I'm very grateful for. It was very it was without a lot of drama, and a lot of things fell into place in a quite quite a beautiful alignment. So it was a, it was a nice transition. So that's a little bit about how I started, you know, getting into yoga and other things. And um, and I, once I made the switch, once I moved out west and I started to study these modalities, started to bring them more fully into my own life, and then started working with individuals. Um, I realized it was very gratifying. It was uh, feeding me in a way that my previous work had not fed me, uh, and that was different, not necessarily better, but different and appropriate for the stage of my life that I was entering into. Mm. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of some things that happened, and certainly happy to answer any more questions you might have about that, that transition. 
Yeah, that is so such an interesting story because I think on the outside, if someone were to look in your life when you were a quote unquote successful, you know, family practitioner sure. in Cincinnati, here you are with, you know, the house, the car, the you know, the showers with the multiple heads, you know. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's like most <laughs> right. dream. I, I, I vaguely remember you telling me this. You know, uh, this. You know, many people's dream of this. Uh, what other people might consider luxurious lifestyle. Like, oh my gosh, you have made yeah. it. You know, uh, and yet here you trade all of that in you know, for your heart. You know what your heart wants to do, and you're so much happier now. And you really. Um, started living your life authentically and who knew, you know, that you were going to end up, you know, on this road. And for a guy who I think you told me that you could barely touch your toes when you leaned forward, right, when you were a runner way back when? Right, yeah. My standing forward bend was pretty darn limited when I started practicing <laughs> yoga. And now yeah. you can do full lotus, you know, like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, know, that's a good point. I certainly had a, I had some physical transformations, which have been really fun and interesting. Um, and at the same time, over the course of the last 17 years, since I moved out here to California, I've also, you know, my body has changed again. And, you know, I don't mm. do everything I used to do. I've made the choice not to force my body into the, some of the more acrobatic mm. portions of yoga because those things aren't as important to me as they were when I first started practicing. And now some of the Subtler practices of pranayama and meditation are maybe more in the forefront of the tools that I use on a more regular basis. Now, that's not to say I don't do asana practice regularly because I do, but, you know, some of those things that were kind of fun um, awakenings on the physical level have changed also, right? So things keep changing. I'm sure you, you talk about right. your clients and your patients that things are always changing. And so I'm trying to be really uh, also authentic and honest with myself in realizing that you know, I'm a, a, a pretty healthy human being, but that my body changes over time and its desires and needs change. And I'm trying to really listen to that and be very um, cognizant and compassionate with myself as time goes on. Mm. Well, I think that's a perfect modeling for, you know, what you would want for your patients as well, to have that compassion, to to have that openness and the authenticity and not forcing. Because I know a lot of people, you know, get into the yoga for um, kind of like the I mean, the idea of yoga rather than yeah. really what it is. So, uh, you know, one of my favorite... Or the favorite... myth of yoga, right? Right, right. The myth of yoga. They don't really understand what yoga is in its totality. Um, right, and some and people and get locked back. into that, I'm into the next yoga, you know, yoga outfit, you know, the next $200 yoga outfit. You know? Right, Because yeah. <laughs> I look good. Yeah, and, you know, know? yeah going, back, going back to something you said a moment ago about you know, from the outside, it might have appeared back in the 90s that I had kind of an ideal life and was quite financially successful and had a great practice and a great bunch of people I got to work with, both my patients and my colleagues. Uh, and I had all the exterior trappings of a successful life as we often gauge it in the West. You know, I had a home and I had cars and vacations and all those great things. Um, but what, you know, what I have discovered, and maybe you've discovered this too, in studying about the spiritual path, and the yoga path is that there comes a point in almost everyone's life when one looks very honestly at things and one realizes that subtly or overtly there's a little dissatisfaction with all of those apparent trappings of success. And, um, and then there becomes a willingness to look beyond that, even if it means giving up some of that comfort and that, um, that security and that financial security and, taking a chance and going out on a limb 
and seeing what else is out there for us. And I, I know I know that happened for you, and it happened mm-hmm. for me. And you know, fortunately for us, probably because of a lot of factors, we've been able to uh, uh, delight in that and prosper in really good ways. Right. Well, my sense is that the like you said, the the different synchronicities, the doors opening for you and made that change. I think when we are on our quote unquote, you know, divine path. Um, whatever our soul mission is, if that's in resonance with the highest vibration of the divine, then things definitely are much easier than when we're kind of, you know, struggling and thinking this has to be this way. And I know, and you know how I was before, just very rigid and, uh, you know, perfectionistic. And I got to tell everybody, I I tell everybody the story all the time, but now they know, you know, the, the, you know, the, the voice to the name, um, is that, uh, I remember saying to you one time, I'm trying to be a better person, okay? And this, I know you know this already, the story, but, but it really impacted me when you said, well, what's wrong with you right now? And I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And, and, and you know, the sense was, and you didn't, weren't judging me about it, but you were, you know, kind of uh, you know, edging me into thinking, well, gee, if I'm always trying to be better, maybe that's because I'm not happy with who I am right now. And then I thought, yeah. wow, there really isn't anything wrong with me right now. So it really made me pause. And I still remember that. That's like one of those things. When I start doing that thing that sometimes right. I do, I stop and pause and going, whoa, okay, can it just be good enough? Like, does it have to right. be perfect? You know, it can just yeah. be yeah. good enough. And, uh, so I, I love that story because, I mean, you just said it just, you know, off the cuff and very naturally. So what's wrong with you right now? <laughs> I was like, right. huh? Well, you know, it's, whether it's with our friends or with our clients or our patients, sometimes we're just holding up a mirror and asking a simple question mm-hmm. that no one else has asked, you know. And it's like <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not even necessarily profound on some level. It's just like, you know, from the outside, you seem like you're a pretty awesome person, you know, on many levels. and. So what's what's so what's um, so unsatisfying about who you are, and that doesn't mean that you know again we don't we we have things we need to work on. We have pain in our lives. We have physical and mental emotional pain. We have suffering that comes up. Uh, we have illness that arises at times, and so these are all things that we have to attend to. But in some ways, we're talking about our underlying essence, what we might call our genuine self or our authentic self, and um, you know if we've have the good fortune to mature uh, to a point where we can take care of ourselves pretty decently, usually there's a pretty good authentic person in there already that we don't have to necessarily do a, a ton of work on. Mm, right. And and there's this, uh, you know, that my personality type was uh, the quote-unquote always striving, never arriving. Um, right. And uh, I think that, uh, I think, you know, thanks to you and, you know, many other people, uh, uh, people that I've met, spiritual teachers, really come to that place where I can come full circle and go, yeah, I am pretty awesome, yay, <laughs> and, and not like yeah. keep thinking yeah. I have to have to do something more, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like exactly. It's my, you know, I'll tell you this quick story. My mom was a little confused why I would give up a family practice in right. California to do yoga. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Anyway, my mom's <laughs> trying to wrap her head around this whole thing. And um, you and I completed our program, and when, when I was at the acupuncture program, I met a woman who was on staff at UC Berkeley in the student health department. That's where she worked as a doctor. And we had a conversation, and I just mentioned to her, I said, hey, you know, I'm moving to Oakland, or I just moved, and, um, you know, maybe I can 
have space with you in case I'm looking for work opportunities. So I, I, I told my mother this story after, you know, I moved to California and I was studying yoga and I was studying acupuncture. And so a couple of months later, my cousin Mary calls me up and she says, hey, I hear you're on staff at UC Berkeley. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, what? <laughs> so my mother has started telling people, and God love my mom. I t- you know, we've talked about this and I, yeah, I think we laugh about this story now. But, you know, she, you know, worried about her son, the doctor. She started, she created a new life for me that I didn't wow. know about. And so, you know, I called her up and I said, you know, I said, Mom, you know, I'm, I'm not on staff at UC Berkeley. <laughs> and, she, and she goes, well, you told me this thing. I said, yeah, but I didn't tell you I was working there. So I clarified the reality of things for her. And then I said, you know, and then she made this comment. She said, well, that wouldn't be bad for your resume. Mm-hmm. And I said, Mom, I said, Mom, I'm not doing things for my resume anymore. Yeah. Don't you get it? I'm really doing something that's feeding my inner desire, my deepest desire to explore the world in a different way. And she was like, oh, okay. I mean, she, I still don't think she necessarily got that. But, you know, and, you know, I put things on my resume still. You know, I, I got certified as a, as a yoga therapist recently through the International Association of Yoga Therapy. And, you know, I add that to my list of things that I, that I do. And, and that just, if nothing else, it tells people at least a little story of, of what I've been involved in. You know, and I put down other things after my name like MD and ERYT500, which is something that denotes my training as a yoga teacher. And I realized that for some people, those things are important. And so I put them there because I know it's important for other folks. I don't know how important those things are ultimately for me, uh, but it does tell a story of where I've been and not necessarily where I'm going, though. Mm, right. And and I think it also helps with the story of your commitment, um, yeah. at least yeah, for, for others that maybe don't know you. And I think my parents had very similar reactions as far as me going even into acupuncture, like forget, you know, yoga or something. I think they'd sure. flip out. But, sure. you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah, just because, and they were like, I don't know if you can make money doing that. Of course, now I'm really into the woo-woo weird stuff, right? We're doing, you know, remote <laughs> consults and energy healing, you know, uh, changing the path of hurricanes, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you right. know, I could just see my dad's eye roll. But you know what? I think that in the end, they see that I'm healthier, I'm happier, and so much more loving, um, yeah. less judgmental yeah. of them, yeah. Uh, yeah. much more accepting. And you know what? That feels good. So I think our loved ones just, you know, end up accepting us if we accept us. Yeah, I, I always, I look, I like to come back to that story that people often tell or ask people about, like on your deathbed, mm. what's going to be more important to you? How much money you made? Or how much love you had in your life. Yeah. Right. So if we can if we can be loving towards others and um, ourselves, and as we travel through life, ultimately, you know, those are the things that at least from you know spiritual thinkers and you know people who contemplate the value of a, a life well lived. It's often about all of the sweet connections and friendships and loving kindness that we've been able to share with folks along the way. That that may be ultimately the most important things that we take out of this particular experience of living a full life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in resonance with that. Well, Baxter, tell us about the book that you're, I guess you're finished writing now, but it's going to be released uh, December 18th. And of course, we can pre-order it right on your website, BaxterBell.com. So what what caused you to, you know, think about, first of all, you know, writing a book on yoga, because there's a lot of yoga books out there, but specifically for healthy aging? Sure. So a couple things. The book's actually available six days before you've mentioned it. It's ah. actually available on December the 12th. So 
December the 12th, uh, the book will be released, and you can pre-order from the publisher Shambhala Press or from Amazon.com. So, um, you know, this is another story of transformation. You, you, you and I have both gone through several probably periods of shifts and changes. So, um, gosh, maybe about 10 years ago or so, maybe a little longer than that, I started collaborating with a woman named Nina Zolotov. And some of your listeners might know her if they've actually purchased the two books that Rodney E. wrote back in the in the 2000s, um, and Nina was the co-writer of those books. And so she and I started um, working together and practicing yoga together with a teacher in Berkeley, and we developed some workshops together um, around yoga for stress and yoga for emotional well health, uh, well-being. And at a certain point, we were probably, it was probably around the holidays because uh, she and her husband had great holiday get-togethers at their house around Christmas and Thanksgiving. And we were uh, talking, and we realized that we had a lot of thoughts and opinions about yoga and health, and we decided to, at that point, start a blog. And this was uh, actually six years ago as of September the 19th, just uh, mm-hmm. a short while ago. So we just celebrated our sixth anniversary. Um, and the idea was to write about yoga and health and anything in between, really. And we've covered... <laughs> so many topics over the last six years um, that we would make this available for free and we would just put the word out and see what happened. We had no idea. You know, it's like we had an idea, we put it in action, we put it in motion, and we were going to see what happened with it. And we decided to post five days a week, which is pretty ambitious, yes, because a lot of bloggers post like once a month or twice a month or once a week. Uh, but there were two of us, and um, Nina had the idea that that would be a really good way to get the word out. So we gave it a go. And we would occasionally enlist others to help us. And, and we've had lots of great guest uh, writers over the years, including people like uh, Timothy McCall and a local physical therapist, Sherry Sear, and international yoga therapy uh, teacher, Shelley Prosco, to name a couple of folks. Um, and that was helpful. So we didn't have to necessarily crank out five posts every week on our own. Mm. Um, and what started to happen is that, number one, people loved it. People were like, oh, my God, this is so great. It was maybe early on for people offering this sort of thing, especially for free. And um, it seemed to have an audience of both yoga practitioners and yoga teachers who found the information very helpful for their personal practices and for, their, uh, for the work they were doing with yoga. And so it, it built momentum. As I, you know, I travel around and teach yoga all over the country and sometimes internationally. And within about a year or two, I started having people come up to me um, unannounced and just start telling me how they've been following the blog and how much they love it. So we started getting a sense of that, and then we started a Facebook page for the blog site. And very quickly, we grew our following, and now we have, I think, over 20,000 people that follow Woo-hoo! Facebook. Yeah, that's just pretty cool. Amazing. And, um, and I have my own Baxter Bell Yoga site, and I have, you know, f- four or five thousand folks that follow me there. So, you know, it was it was a it was a timely topic. People really have resonated with that, and it's been a great way to get out our insights uh, on this very broad topic of yoga and health. And it's been super fun. And then, if I can tell just a little more about this, uh, we started doing some yoga for healthy aging trainings, and these were for people, whether they're regular yoga practitioners who just want to live a long and healthy life uh, with yoga as part of it, and also for teachers who might want to start working with uh, adults 
40 and up, really, we don't limit who studies yoga for healthy aging. In fact, I think the younger the, that you are when you start it, the better the results that you're going to have. But, you know, we target definitely people 40 and older. And, um, but it's not yoga for old people. It's yoga for everybody, really. Mm. And so we do these trainings now. And at the end of the first training that we did, somebody asked us if we were going to do a book. And this was several years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, we mentioned that we've been thinking about it and that we had one publisher locally that had approached us and we didn't decide to go with them. And Nina, having done two books with Rodney, made an offhand comment that if someone was willing to pay us to write a book, then she would do it. But otherwise, she wasn't interested. And everybody giggled, and, and that was the end of that. So about an hour later, at the ending gathering we had with some, some uh, refreshments, uh, one of our participants walked up and handed Nina his business card and said, I'll pay you to write that book. And little did we know that this gentleman was a senior editor for Shambhala Press, and Dave had <laughs> offered to let us write a book with them. It's so amazing, right? Wow. If, you know, I find that if you talk about your dreams out loud, often people around you will help you to make them come true. Mm-hmm. So within a couple months, we had a signed contract. And uh, last year, 2016, was when we did most of the writing for the book and a little bit into this year. And then we've been in the editing process since the first of the year. And it's going to be a really fun book. It's going to be beautiful, great photographs in there. Uh, there'll be practices. There'll be really useful tools. We'll be talking about the science of aging, what we know, and how yoga can impact that. Um, and we're talking not about improving longevity. In other words, this book isn't about getting you to live longer. It's about getting you to live a healthier life for how ma- however many years you have available to you, which we never know, right? So right. that's the big question. We can't answer that part of it, but we can try and help you to stay healthy over time. Wow, that is a beautiful story of how this Isn't book became birthed. Oh my gosh, I love the synchronicities, like divinely meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, amazing. Now, I know that, uh, you know, I have some uh, elderly folks in my practice, and um, mm-hmm. they're going through some various different, you know, joint issues, and uh, actually some of them now better after seeing me, but still, you know, they. They have, uh, you know, maybe arthritis in their knees or their their hips. And uh, how do you uh, counsel them as far as, you know, when I, you know, share the word yoga, sometimes they look at me like you got to be kidding, right? Like you want me right. yeah, to yeah. do that? <laughs> so. yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, that is, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. Very stiff middle-aged men look at you like you're crazy because they right. say, I'm too stiff, I can never do yoga. Right. And then I come back immediately and I say, no, that's why you should do yoga and <laughs> can do yoga because I'm a perfect living example of someone yeah. who's very stiff and tight. Um, and then you get the other end of the spectrum, which is what you're encountering where some people aren't in good health and they're having some challenges. And, um, and so they don't know, you know, if it's going to be safe for them to do yoga or if it's appropriate for them. I think that's probably what you're encountering, right? A little bit of fear. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think I know what yoga is, and I don't think it would be good for me. And, uh, again, that's the myth of what yoga is, right? That's the Western myth of, of what yoga is, that it's, it's uh, a crazy acrobatic thing that's for young, slender white women. <laughs> you really, you know, uh, inappropriate on some level. But, you know, just the, the, the myths that we have and the misconceptions that we have. So one of the great things about yoga is that it's so adaptable. You know, people like BKS Iyengar and Krishnamacharya from India 
really kind of opened up the eyes to a lot of us in the West and how we could adapt yoga for just about any person in any circumstance at any stage of their life. So I think the key for the older student who might be um, slightly unwell or dealing with some difficulties around arthritis or whatever it might be is that, yes, yoga could be appropriate for them, but it's important for them to find the right person to work with. Yeah? So if we can get that message across and then let them know about the field, uh, the evolving field of yoga therapy and that there are people that are trained to work with adults of all ages with a variety of different uh, conditions, uh, that will, I hope, drop their, their worry level down, their anxiety level down, so that they can maybe pursue this as a potential additional tool in a set of tools that folks like you and I like to um, expose people to that might not have been exposed to alternatives to their, to their self-care, and then they can start to uh, bring that into their life. Mm, yeah, great advice. Well, I have had a couple of men in my practice, one in particular I'm thinking of right now who's very athletic. Um, he's probably mm, not almost 60, uh, but very young looking, very slim, um, you know, athletic, uh, very health conscious. I love those folks. And he told me years ago, he says, you know, I tried yoga and I hurt myself. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, I don't know. I I try the stretching and um, I tear something. And I know mm. in Chinese medicine, we'd be like, ah, you know, that per <laughs> that person's got, you know, stagnant liver chi or whatever, you know. Yes. Um, and that's that he's very livery, I would say, you know, as far as Chinese medicine uh, goes. So he's kind of stiff, his abdomen stiff, everything stiff. And so he just shied away from yoga because mm -hmm. of that. So um, yeah. how would you counsel somebody like that? First of all, I would acknowledge that, indeed, because the yoga asana practice, that which is one part of yoga, that physical practice part, um, is a physical practice, just like doing Tai Chi or a pickup game of basketball that you do every week or playing tennis are physical activities that utilize the body, that, indeed, sometimes an injury can arise. And just like um, if I were to join a a basketball league and I decided that I thought I was an advanced back basketball player and got into that first game and injured myself, I might, I might blame the others, but maybe it was the fact that I didn't take a good look at what was available to me and I wasn't really honest with where I was starting. So I think it's important that we acknowledge kind of, well, am I in shape or out of shape? Um, am I tight or limber? Uh, what kind of yoga classes are available? Maybe I need to learn more about that and realize that there's almost always a yoga style that can meet the individual where they are. So for this particular person you're thinking of, they might want to focus on a gentle yoga class, even though they might be typically very physically active. Mm. So it might not make a lot of sense initially kind of from a logic perspective, but it might make sense from an energetic perspective, that they do something gentle at first to allow those, tiff, uh, those stiff tissues of the body to gradually open up and not force them into a more advanced yoga practice where the assumption is maybe you can already do that stuff. So th those sorts of things like being aware, just like with the older uh, student who might have um, problems already, a younger student might also need to be more discerning and um, discriminating when it comes to picking the right class for them. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. And uh, you were mentioning earlier, you know, people don't understand what yoga really is. I know, you know, I heard that yoga means union, and they focus mainly on that physical practice, the asana. So maybe you can share yeah. with us what else is yoga or what else encompasses yoga. Yeah, 
And so, you know, if your listeners out there are simply doing the physical asana classes or the yoga classes that are offered in most places in Canada and the United States these days, and internationally for that matter, um, there's, a, there's a greater focus on the physical practices that we call the asana practice. And so in the West, where we're a little bit body-obsessed, the asana <laughs> practices have become very popular. And that's, that's fine because they have lots of good benefits. They can build strength. They can improve flexibility. They can improve balance and agility, which I call the four essential key physical skills that we try to cultivate in yoga for healthy aging. So those are the really good benefits of the physical practices. And they can, if taught in the proper way, also be meditative. So another limb of yoga is meditation practice. Another set of tools are the breath techniques that can influence our nervous system, our digestive system, um, our minds, our brains actually can be influenced by these practices. Uh, and there are other practices. There are the use of sound um, can be also a therapeutic practice in yoga as well. Um, there are ways of working with others in community and service that are also part of the yoga tradition. So when we step back a little bit and look beyond the public studios and yoga classes that so many people go to and dig just a little bit deeper, you'll start to discover that there's actually quite a, a wide array of practices and techniques that fall under the umbrella of yoga. So right. Well, your, your abs- absolutely. I um, sometimes I'll just I'll say, okay, I'm doing the yoga of dishwashing right now. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You yeah, know, so great. Yeah. 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 It's funny because uh, I used to hate dishwashing. Yeah, exactly. Like, look where difficulty arises. Right. This is the practice of yoga. Really, is where is suffering in my life, hmm. and what practices can I do that can lessen the suffering of my life? Right. So. Um, I had, a, I had a, someone come to my office today, one of my patients, and um, we were doing acupuncture today, but she's also a regular yoga practitioner, and she's in her early 70s, and she's had amazing benefits from actually starting up a regular yoga practice in the last seven years. And, you know, she was talking about how when she walks up the stairs, because she has knee arthritis, that walking up the stairs is part of her yoga practice. Mm-hmm. And all these different times during the day, as you've identified, when I can actually bring that mindfulness, that awareness of everything I'm doing right now, including acknowledging my mental frustration or aversion to doing the dishes or walking up the stairs, whatever it might be, and acknowledging that and making that also part of my practice. Oh, I'm struggling with doing the dishes. How interesting. Do I still need to do the dishes? Yes, I still need to do the dishes. (laughs) Could there be another way of doing the dishes that would be less struggling? Oh, if I could get away from thinking about how how little I like to do the dishes, that could be helpful, right? So these are really sweet techniques. They're very old techniques, and they show up in not only the Indian tradition of yoga, but in the Chinese traditions and other traditions, and they're just beautiful, accessible ways of being in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and there's definitely some people with health challenges who, you know, how, to, how do I say this, because uh, I know this one, who should themselves, <laughs> so I yeah. should be doing yoga, I should be doing something. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Recently, I was um, had not been doing a lot of quote-unquote stretching and kept yeah. shooting myself uh, very subtly like, oh, I should do more stretching, or I'm going to skating, but I'm running out of time, I'm doing these projects, and I'm not but in every time, you know, I'd look at the mat and then I'd be like, uh, it's 11 o'clock at night. I better go to bed, you know. And then yeah. I um, found some webinar on pelvic pain. And interestingly, I was talking to the uh, the, the teacher and I, I bought the course. 
and uh, I was telling her about, you know, this challenge or that challenge, and she said, oh, you're going to love the press yoga. So I got kind of excited. So I looked at the, you know, her, the press yoga, and, you know, I knew a lot of the quote-unquote positions already, but what was very different was she was getting us to really be aware of the pelvic floor and breathing and doing what's called a reverse Kegel during these positions, and I had never in a million years thought about doing that while in the yoga pose. And she said, I quote, some of the yoga poses may be challenging for those with pelvic floor dysfunction, could make it worse. And it was like, ding, ding, ding. My intuition was like, no wonder you didn't want to do what you normally do. Like there was a part of me that resisted doing it. I just kept shooting myself like, oh, I should do this. But then, but that's the awareness that I needed. I needed that extra piece of information that the way I was doing it traditionally wasn't optimal for what was going on in my body right then. And so now that I learned this additional piece, uh, yeah, it's, it's really quite amazing. And the other yoga piece I would say that I'm doing um, is that I recently (laughs) through this, you know, teaching and, and, um, learning this course is that I realize that when I stand up that I almost automatically contract my gluteals and I'm an external rotation, almost like, you know, when I was in ballet Mm -hmm. and I, Mm -hmm. and I lock my knees and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I could stand there for like two seconds and I start doing it. And, and I like, there I do it again, there I'm doing it again. (laughs) And so this, Mm -hmm. this, this yoga of this awareness now then I'm doing it, and then I'm going to correct it, and then I do it again, and then I correct it, and do it again, and correct it, and little by little, you know, um, the body and the whole mind can change just from that tiny little thing. We don't actually have to look at, you know, this big yoga DVD that's 90 minutes and have, like like right. P90X, right? And do this really hard power yoga stuff to make big differences in our oh, life. Oh my gosh! You know, I I encourage my my people all the time to just do 10 or 15 minutes at home if they really want to start a home practice so they're not overwhelmed by that burden, right, that should. I should Mm -hmm. do just like in class where it's an hour, an hour and a half. So, yeah, those little pieces. And also, you're you're also describing uh, what's, you know, what's often referred to as overcoming previous habits, right? So my old habit, like your old habit of standing up and contracting your glutes and externally rotating your thighs, was set when you were fairly young, and you've been doing it for how many years? Right. 30 years, 40 years. And so that's a deep groove in your neural pathways of a habit, right? And mm-hmm. so it takes a while to substitute a better, healthier habit, and so we have to do it mindfully. We actually have to make ourselves do it when we realize that we're not. And then the more we do it, the more that becomes our default habit, and it replaces most of the time, our old way of doing things. And this is one of the great things about using yoga therapeutically is we identify an an issue, we identify a new habit to correct it, and then there's a period of learning. It doesn't happen overnight, but if we can kind of get into that and use it as a curiosity and have fun with it, before too long, within usually a month or two, you'll probably find that that new way of doing things has become your new habit. And isn't that a beautiful day when that happens, right? Mhm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Japanese have a word. I'm not pronouncing it right, probably, but kaizen. You know, which is like uh-huh. doing little, little, little by little, little by little, consistently over time to make huge changes. And uh, Toyota, who we know have taken over the American yes. market over the last several decades. Um, when they were only at 8% of that market, um, used this principle to build this humongous company in America, and nobody even noticed them 
You know, like yeah. the American companies didn't <laughs> notice them because they're ah, they were just eight percent. Who are they? We're they're not our competition. But over right. time, they just little by little did things really well, and people took notice. And then they took right. a large market. It wasn't overnight. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a great uh, teaching and understanding to to do these little things. Um, one of the questions, Baxter, that comes up with people is that. Um, you know, there are different yoga styles, and uh, I think sometimes in the news or whatever, you know, some sometimes you'll find like, you know, one uh, maybe one person of one style says, well, the other style isn't good, or maybe that right. uh, whatever it is, uh, hot yoga is bad for you because the instructor is barking orders and you're not allowed to drink fluids for the whole hour or whatever. Right. Right. And then kundalini yoga, which I actually really like, uh, which is totally yeah. weird and different. Um, you know, like, oh, you, you know, you shouldn't do that because, you know, that's too much in your head, you know, so what's all this right. about and how do people like navigate all these different types? Is there a certain personality or body type that's better for a certain yeah. yoga style? This is a really good question. And what I, I would refer um, your listeners to is there's a couple of reviews. I know Yoga Journal did one and I'm sure you can find it at their website where they try to at least give you an outline of the major uh, strands or styles of yoga that are taught, especially in the United States, um, and a little bit of a description of what a class is like, and just some simple you know, guidelines on who it might be most appropriate for. So some yoga practices are extremely physically demanding and challenging. So you mentioned hot yoga. It's done in a room that's set to about, what, 108 degrees or something around that, and so that just that alone could pose challenges for older adults who have been told not to go into the steam room or the hot tub because of their heart condition or their blood pressure or whatever, right? So, you know, there's some common sense stuff that should show up for people as they're thinking about different kinds of yoga they might want to try. Um, the Ashtanga traditions are also very physically demanding, and the practices can last up to two hours. So, you know, you might want to wow. ease into something like that if you haven't been in shape and you're a little bit of out, out of conditioning uh, if you're going to consider something like that. The kundalini practices, um, I, I don't know that I would say they're necessarily all in your head, but what I would describe them as, as being more energetically focused. So there's going to be a lot of interesting breath techniques and unusual movement patterns with your breath. And, um, you know, for some people, they're going to love it, just like you love doing it. And for other people, they might not like that style. Um, uh, there are other practices that might be called gentle yoga or restorative yoga that are typically accessible to most people on the physical level, but, for instance, might be challenging for someone who has an incredibly busy mind mm -hmm. that's a little more type A and has a hard time relaxing normally. So to ask that person to go to a class for an hour where they're lying for 10 or 15 minutes in one position and being asked to notice subtle things about their body, they might not be ready for that style, right? So I think it's, it's helpful to look for those resources that can describe the kind of class you might encounter if you took that class, and then ask yourself, does that sound like something that I would like to do? Uh, and then also be willing to sample a couple of classes. I've had some students who come and ask if they could observe my class before they take it, and I think that's awesome. And I usually say yes to those folks, unless there's something unusual or sensitive about the class I'm going to teach. I'll often let someone sit in and just watch the class so they can decide if it's right for them. So you might uh, encourage your listeners, uh, or we might encourage your listeners, to do something along those lines before they actually jump in and buy a 10-class pass and then realize, oh, my goodness, I've gotten myself into a, a pickle here. This is not the class for me. 
Right. Oh, that's great advice. And that's so awesome that you, you know, allow people to, to do that, to proctor or just to look, you know, and see if that's right for them. I remember one of the classes that um, that you took me to, one of Rodney E's classes when we were still in California, uh, it was so, to me, crowded that our mats were practically side by side with each other with just a few inches between it. And at first I thought, oh my gosh, I, I, I feel claustrophobic. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. so many people in this class. But within two minutes of him like just speaking and I felt completely like at home and relaxed. It was fine. It was no big deal. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, people were close to me, but I mean, that tells us the power of the instructor, you know, their energy, you know, and, yeah. and their teaching and, and how comfortable, although I, I can't imagine anybody watching because there was no room for really <laughs> somebody else to stand. Right, yeah, right, but, exactly. That would be hard for that class. Yeah, but I, I think yeah. that you're absolutely right that people, um, you know, are that are interested, uh, it's not like, oh, I failed because I didn't like this class. Maybe it's the instructor, maybe it's the style, um, mm-hmm. you know, or or the, the, the space, whatever it is. So just to be willing to kind of experiment and try it out. Think of it as like fun, curious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is really neat. Um, now, uh, interestingly, there has been, um, I think that yoga has become, gosh, a multi-million dollar business now because it's so popular, you know, here yeah. in North America. <laughs> And um, I think it's becoming very uh, mainstream, just like acupuncture is almost mainstream. Well, it is mainstream in California, but, uh, you know, maybe not so mainstream in upstate New York yet. But we have three acupuncturists mm-hmm. in town. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so this whole, you know, commercialization of yoga, <laughs> is this mm-hmm. of any concern, you know, to people that are, you know, teachers and people that are, you know, trying to, quote, unquote, keep it authentic or real? Um, I, well, I certainly think it's a topic of discussion amongst um, teachers and in teacher training programs. Um, I think we have to keep in mind that the people that are making the multi-million dollars are not your average yoga teachers. In fact, they're not, they're not the vast, 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 vast majority <laughs> of people who teach yoga. Um, uh, in fact, it's very difficult for most yoga teachers probably to make a living above the poverty level. I mean, that's how challenging it is just based on teaching public classrooms. So, mm-hmm. um It's not uh, financially rewarding, and and this is true of a lot of systems. If you think about the educational system in the United States, somebody's making money on the public school systems, right? I mean, people that supply food and books and facilities, but teachers are paid terribly. And so I think it's a similar thing here where as corporations get into designing uh, information systems and purchasing large uh, uh, studio chains, um, if you look at who's making the money, the owners, of course, are making the money, and that's, that's fine if you buy into capitalism being um, egalitarian, but there could be some discussion around that that we won't get into today. <laughs> but I think that when you talk to the, to the uh, average teacher, the everyday teacher who teaches from a place of loving the practice, and usually those of us that teach found that the practice itself had incredible gifts for us individually – that it helped in our evolution as human beings and that it supplied us with uh, often a sense of inner peace and quiet that we might not have experienced before in addition to any other physical benefits that we might have gotten from it, that um, that is still the motivating principle for most uh, yoga teachers in this country. And so I think as a 
maybe as a consumer of yoga, when you hear the stories in the media about yoga being a multi-million dollar business, you know, take that with a grain of salt and ask yourself, well, who is really benefiting financially from yoga? And unfortunately, on some level, it's not really the yoga teachers. Um, and I think that as, as a new evolution for yoga is that I think teachers need to, just as they've done in other fields, may have to come together and form organizations that can actually lobby on their benefit so they can actually make um, a, a living wage, just like we're seeing other people in other industries trying to um, uh, ask for that sort of um, reasonable request from the people that they provide their service to. Mm, I hope that, that yeah. answers the question that you had. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. Right, I totally uh, agree with you. And even with medicine these days, there's um, a lot of organizations that, you know, hire doctors and things like that. And I think uh, having an MD after your name, people just in general assume, oh, my gosh, you must be making a ton of money, you know. Oh, you must yeah. be so rich. And uh, I, I used to be very defensive about it. <laughs> and that yeah. probably made me poor because, uh, you know, I would push away money just to prove that I was, you know, not you know, unethical or not uh, greedy or whatever, yeah. the rich doctor that people thought I was. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that the organization um, is probably uh, a little broken in terms of sometimes the people that are, like, the doctors aren't actually making that much money anymore. No, I mean, I think that's another myth, right? We talk about the myths of yoga, and there's the myth of the modern healthcare system. Physicians have seen their um, wages stagnate and drop uh, in many specialties, just as the average American worker has seen. So, again, you know, physicians, uh, unless they're in a subspecialty, surgical subspecialty, um, you know, they're lucky to, you know, make a decent living that can cover their student loans, allow them to have a home, um, and maybe take a vacation week or two a year. I mean, uh, you know, so many of my colleagues who are family doctors, you know, they're, I mean, we're solidly in the middle class. And so, again, I think, talking about this honestly with our friends and our family and just saying, you know, this is the reality of things. So there are people out there making money, but they're usually, again, the corporate entities. And, and, again, it's a system, and it has its benefits and its flaws, and I think it's worth having conversations about how we can improve that so that uh, more people uh, benefit than just a few people, right, that we spread that, that pie out a little bit so everyone gets to live a good life, have a good, safe place to live, have enough healthy food to eat, clean water, um, and mm -hmm. have meaningful work in their life. I think those are, if we made those the, the, the cornerstones of our, of our culture and not just owning the biggest house on the block and making a pot, piss pot full of money, then I think <laughs> that our, our societies would be much happier in general. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want uh, you to share with the folks again um, how do they get a copy of your book, Yoga for Healthy Aging, and then maybe you can also share, uh, I know you all uh, do yoga teacher training as well as some uh, events around the world, so maybe you can tell us about some of that and where they can find that information. Sure, yeah. I just want to reiterate that the book is really for anyone of any age. It's not a yoga book for older adults although older adults will get a lot out of it for sure. So, you know, if you're a younger adult, you might enjoy yoga for healthy aging. If you're a middle-aged adult, you might enjoy it. If you're an older adult, you might enjoy it. So it's really for a broad spectrum of folks. I just want to make sure people understand that. And I think it's going to provide them with some really practical tools as well. So you'll be able to use the stuff you learn in it very quickly. So the good news is the book comes out on December the 12th. It's entitled Yoga for Healthy Aging. 
And I co-authored the book with Nina Zolotov. So it's Baxter Bell, MD, and Nina Zolotov. And uh, it's available right now for pre-order from the publisher, Shambhala Press, as well as from Amazon.com. And you can also order it from independent bookstores that offer pre-order as well if you prefer to give your money to smaller organizations. So that's the ordering information. Um, and then if you want to take class with me, come to Oakland, hang out. My uh, schedule is on my website, BaxterBell.com. I also offer workshops and retreats around the United States and some really great international trips as well. And those are also to be found on my website, BaxterBell.com, under the Workshops tab or Retreat tab. So you can find all that good stuff there. Also, I would encourage people to look at the free resource that is our blog, Yoga for Healthy Aging. And you can also find me on Facebook at Baxter Bell Yoga and also our Facebook page for Yoga for Healthy Aging. So that gives you a, a whole bunch of different places that you can make contact with me and learn about my work and, and come check out what I do. I think you'll have a great time. We always have fun in my classes. We think laughter is, import, is very important, and we also learn a lot as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love your classes. They're awesome. Thanks, yeah. Yeah. Now the the blog uh for is is that the the blog for the healthy aging is that on the the blog website on your website baxterbell.com? Yes. There's certainly a link to it from my website. So if you go to baxterbell.com, you can find how to get the book, how to find the blog, how to get our cool new yoga for healthy aging t-shirts which people are going uh, just crazy about these days. Yeah, they look Black great. Black and light blue. Um, they're super fun. They're, they're nice cotton quality, and they fit nicely. So check those out. And uh, we're, we're selling them wholesale, so we don't make a, a dime of profit on that. And our purpose is just to get the word out there uh, so that more and more people know about the idea and the concept of yoga for healthy aging, which, can I just say one last thing about that, Karen? Absolutely. It's about it's about improving your health span. That's the number of years that you will live in this lifetime. Number two, about maintaining your independence over time. And number three, teaching you skills around equanimity so that you can handle the challenging times of life as well as the good times of life. So it's those mm. three essential pillars that we really talk about in the book, and that can be useful for everyone at every age. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Baxter. It's been an absolute pleasure and so much fun. I am so happy for you and Nina to have this book out soon, and I'm definitely going to get some T-shirts <laughs> to help spread the word. Oh, and it's hey, Karen, it's been an honor to be on your show, and it's great to reconnect, and I so value our friendship. Thank you. Same here. Thank you, and thanks, everyone, for listening in. Until next time, lots of love. Bye for now.